wired. I am. Okay, and this oh. is the on. Okay. So, um, last time we were having a hard time keeping up. So, I'm going to stand up at 22 minutes, which is about the time to stop the talk. <laughs> and then we'll have about five minutes for questioning. I need to do two minutes before that. Huh? I need to do two minutes before or five right, 20, or something. Right. Give me some kind of a sign. Okay. I'll wait. Give me five, minutes, five minutes. When i got five minutes to go, okay. I'll adjust accordingly. Okay. Thank you. Do right. so you think 22 minutes of talking? Because then that leaves about five minutes for questioning and then the exchange. It just takes a couple minutes to exchange. But we'll, I think we're going to start five minutes late just because the uh, refreshments were good for people. They were high calorie value. You want to donate this for the okay. session? Because I see Wonderful. it better than okay. I see the red ones. Um, uh, Six point eight million. Thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> Invaluable. All right. So um, I'm Nancy Jones again, and I'll help moderate the session. And we're. We're trying to get the speakers that the talk and the comments would be about 27 minutes so we can then switch. And I know some people travel from room to room, so we want to keep things um, pretty close to the schedule, although we're starting a few minutes late. Um, but the last time, uh, you're in the science and technology ethics, and we had it very heavily weighted towards theology and philosophy. And this time, we're going to have a little of that, but we're going to also have a little more practical application of like really drilling into some examples. So it'll be really fun to hear from some practitioners' point of view how they get in the middle of um, these issues. So we'll start with um, David Daniels, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you. I am David Daniels. I am local. I live in Maryland. I have a physics background, um, but I primarily work with risk. Uh, risk calculations, quantitative risk analysis for uh, federal government clients, state and local as well, uh, but primarily having to do with homeland security, all hazards kinds of risks. In doing that, I do, an, I do a lot of advising of senior, uh, senior policymakers um, in the federal government primarily, and uh, I've noticed a number of, of, uh, of issues uh, that they have in uh, dealing with some quantitative issues of understanding risk. Uh, one of them, one of the principal ones that runs, come, shows up time and time again, is the value, value of a human life. It shows up in risk analysis because we have to make trade-offs in the federal government, um, usually financial trade-offs. We have so much money, we have so much budget, we have to allocate that budget according to different things. Uh, in my world in risk analysis, we have risk formulas which calculate the consequences of terrible things happening, but you have to quantify those consequences. You can have loss of of, uh, of you know, damages, and you can calculate those financially. But you can also have deaths, you can have injuries, you can have uh, environmental impacts with the uh, oil spill in the Gulf right now. Uh, and how do you quantify those? You need to quantify them in order to compare them with other kinds of terrible things that could happen so that you can allocate your resources accordingly. That's a general problem that shows up time and time and time again in the federal government, state and local governments as well. It's a general prioritization uh, issue. The, there are many uh, uh, conversion issues, converting from one type of thing to another type of thing. 
the one that's most obvious and the most problematic is converting uh, people's lives, fatalities, maybe injuries, but certainly fatalities, to dollars. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that one today as an as a, uh, illustration of some, some of these problems. Talk about what's being done, um, how, how the field treats it, uh, how we should be looking at it as Christians. And um, I have a recommendation at the end, which is probably not going to be very satisfactory. It's kind of a non-recommendation recommendation, but take it for what it, what it is. This is somewhat facetious. This is the only biblical evidence we have on the, on the value of the human life. We have the left-hand side, two famous passages, parallel passages from Matthew and Luke, talking about it's actually not the point of this passage. Uh, it's talking about how much God cares for us, comparing his care for us to his care for a sparrow. Obviously, he cares for even sparrows. We're worth so much more than sparrows. But you can look at it, and you can actually make an equation out of this. If two sparrows are sold for this thing that's sometimes translated as a penny or a farthing, if you uh, read the King James Version, uh, is really the Greek asarion, which is, which is probably closer to a dollar uh, in terms of actual currency value. It was the smallest unit of generally used coinage around there. So the, the idea of a penny gets the right idea. But the actual value is something like a dollar. And so we're worth more than, more than several of these things. And, and so the conversion is either two, dollar, two sparrows for a dollar or five sparrows for two. Maybe you get a, a discount for buying in bulk. I don't know. But it's roughly, roughly a, you know, a sparrow is about 50 cents. And we're worth uh, multiples of these sparrows. You know, maybe with, a, with inflation, the Asarian's worth a little bit more than, uh, more than a dollar. Maybe it's two dollars. Uh, and we're worth more than you know, many sparrows. Well, who, how much is many? And you know, there's some societies that only have words for one, two, and many. So many is at least three. And so, you know, so human lives are at least three dollars. That's really only all we can say about that. Uh, it, it could be infinite, but it's at least three dollars. And on the right-hand side, we have, you know, God created man in His image. God's value is presumably infinite. And if we're created in His image, then we're a reflection of infinity. At the same time, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So I know you can argue this has nothing to do with our value. It has to do with his love for us. But still, one can say that we can impute from that that we're some fraction of infinity. And that makes us worth, well, less than or equal to an infinite number of dollars. So we've got a range in here from $3 to an infinite number of dollars. And that's why it's facetious. The point of this slide is actually there are two ways of looking at human life. We see it in the Bible but it's also uh, common uh, uh, across society. We've got this uh, view over here which says you are what you do. It's this extrinsic value of life. You're worth as much as you produce. You're worth as much as you can do. And then there's this intrinsic value. You have value or lives have value intrinsically. Regardless of whose lives they are, regardless of what those people do, uh, there's some intrinsic value. I find it fascinating that in American society, we have this deep understanding that this is true, but we can't justify it. The only way we can justify it is as Christians through our relationship to God. We only have value that he provides to us. We have value because we are made in his image or because he died for us. But apart from him, we don't have any value. And so we have to revert back to these kinds of things. And what you'll see is that in policy, we default back to these, even though intuitively we all kind of believe this. You'll see that coming, coming through and, and when you see the way we do, the way, we, way it's done in policy. This is also facetious. I'm sorry, 6.9, not 6.8. I was mis, misquoted my, my, my own talk earlier. $6.9 million. This is facetious, but it's actually the only official number that's ever used for explicitly valuing a human life, a generic human life, in the federal government. It's done by the EPA. They did a very, very 
thorough study of the literature. It's a well-done study. It's well-documented. It, it, it really couldn't be done better. And I'll explain a little bit later how it's done. Um, but it's the only one that exists. There are some other ones I'll mention here. I didn't put it on the slide. There are some other ones that are done not explicitly, they're implicitly. So there are risk equations. I, I know from personal example in DHS at one point, and, and I won't blame anyone, but at one point in a former administration, there were two concurrent risk formulas which had some weights. Yeah, you weight this thing, you know, the number of people, and you weight GDP, and you weight these other things, and you add them all up, and that gives you a risk formula, and you throw dollars against it. And nobody ever back-calculated, reverse-engineered, this number, but you could. There's no reason you couldn't. You had people in there. You had dollars in there. You had all these other things in there. You could always back these things out. And no one ever asked the hard questions. But if you had done, there was one point in time where DHS, sorry, Department of Homeland Security, I, I live so far inside the Beltway that I just talk in acronyms. Department of Homeland Security was saying at the same time that people were worth both $12 million on the one hand and $100,000 on the other hand. At the same time, two different programs. So. This is the only explicit one. There are several implicit ones. None of them are consistent. The general, the, the, the conclusion of this talk, I'll just give it now, is that this is wrong. It was right for what EPA was doing. Uh, and it was absolutely the right thing for them to do. And the problem is that the rest of the government wants desperately to latch on to some number. And they latch on to that number. And they say, OK, well, we'll use it too. If EPA uses it, it's good enough for EPA, it's good enough for us. And it's not. There is no single value of human life. <clears throat> what's important? If you're going to figure out what's the value of a human life, you have to ask a number of questions. First, whose life are we valuing? Is it a particular person's life? Is it your life? Is it my life? Is it some everyman life? Is it, what is it? Um, to figure out, this is usually an implicit question. People don't usually ask these questions explicitly. But you can figure out whether this is important by saying, well, if you're doing a value of a human life thing, if you have two different people that made different amounts of money, would their value be different? It would in some cases. Some people, some methodologies that would absolutely give a different answer. Uh, does their age make a difference? If you have an old person, a young person, a child, an infant, uh, underage, is their value different? If it is, then we know what we're, we're doing here. Second question, to whom is that life valuable? Value, value is a subjective thing. You have a person and it provides value to someone else. Who is that other person? It's a critical uh, piece of information. Are we talking about the value to themselves? In fact, the $6.9 million comes from that. Uh, is it the value to their family? In the legal profession, that's usually where it comes from. It's the value that someone who has died would have provided to their family. Uh, is it to their employer? Is it to society? Is it to the government? Is it to God? You'll get different numbers depending on how you answer that question. It's, and this question is, is rarely, in fact, asked. Third one is obviously once you've defined who, who we're valuing and to whom that life is value, valued, uh, how, how does the value... How, do you, how, how, how is it imparted from, uh, from the person to the person that is valued? Uh, is it a stream of capital approach? Uh, is it a voter? Is it some kind of pleasure of life? Uh, in the federal um, uh, government space, it's almost kind of as crass as the middle one. It's really we value everyone the same because everyone has one vote. It's equal, you know, one vote for one person. So we value everyone the same. That sounds really equitable until you start getting to minors who don't vote. Huh. Interesting. It doesn't matter how the life is lost. Uh, it doesn't matter if you lost your life because you were racing a motorcycle illegally down the street or were attacked by a terrorist minding your own business. Uh, it might. <clears throat> That's all I'll talk about that. And then this other thing over here, beware of benefit transfer error. 
Benefit transfer error talks about when you calculate the value of life in one context for one set of criteria here and say, okay, given all these assumptions, the value is this. And then take that value and apply it somewhere else. It may not be applicable. Whoa. Wrong button. How do you measure it? Legal precedence, I'm not even going to talk about that. That's, that's this thing where you look at someone's salary, you figure out their, their expected earnings over the course of their lifetime and say, well, it's tragic that this person was cut short. We expected he would have made this much money. We turn that into, a, into an income stream. We take the net present value of that, and that's his value of a life. Um, it, it's fine for wrong, wrongful death lawsuits. It's, in, practically, it's impossible to calculate. Uh, for the whole population, and politically, it's completely unacceptable for um, uh, for the federal government. Uh, if, if you follow this uh, to its logical conclusion, retirees would would have a negative value. It would be actually beneficial to blow up a retirement home because they don't provide any income. Right? Politically unacceptable. Logically, it doesn't even make any sense. Um, certainly, from a Christian standpoint, we can't we can't go with that that method. <clears throat> not for the general population. Not for setting policy. Stated preference and revealed preference studies, I'll get to that in a minute. That's what the rest of the talk is about. And then fiat, it's commonly called policy decision, is actually how these decisions are made in the federal government because they don't have time to do this. So they end up doing it this way. I'm not convinced it's actually wrong. 80-20 rule says that's, well, you, you, you kind of look at this and then you figure out what the ballpark is and then you figure out, well, for your environment, then what should it be? Sir? Yes, I will try to slow down. Thank you. I will try to slow down. So I'm going to introduce a concept called the value of a statistical life. This is not the same thing as a value of life, but it's the thing which is calculated. The value of a life would say, how much do I have to pay to kill you? I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't know how you calculate it. I don't know how you measure it. Nobody else does either, which is why they calculate this thing. This is the likelihood of death on this axis. This is dollars. The value of a statistical life over here comes from taking a projection from some increase in a likelihood of dying compared to some increase in dollars for that condition, drawing a line through it and saying, okay, well, if you had that thing and you projected it all the way out to 100%, that would be one additional death, and the dollar value of that would be whatever that number is, and that's our value of statistical life. That's how it's calculated. There's an obvious problem with that, which is that if you tried to compare this to this, well, this line may not actually be linear. If you said, how much would I have to, let's say, how much would I have to pay you to accept a slight increase in the probability of you dying? Uh, increase of one in a million. Uh, something. Probably not very much. How about one in ten? Okay, now we're talking about a lot of money here, right? How about you got a 50-50 chance of dying if you do this thing? You got to pay me a whole lot of money. It's not going linearly. This line, this intuitive thing is going up way, way fast. So that's this line. This thing is a linear projection from some small increases in probabilities. How do we get it? There's four different ways of doing it. I'm not even going to talk about the chart because I'm going to go into all four of them. I'll describe the differences. There's different kinds of studies, stated preference studies and revealed preference studies. 
They're both trying to get at the same thing, how much do you value life? But they use different methods. Stated preference basically asks, how much do you value your life? And they ask in very clever ways. Do war gaming and all kinds of things. And the results are exactly as good as the responses they get back. If you ask the question, would you be brave in battle? You'd get responses, and those responses would be just as good as the responses that you, and you, does that correspond to actual bravery in battle? Who knows? So the other way to do it, psychologists tend to like this. The advantage of it is you get to ask really specific things. How much would you value a death due to terrorism via biological attack? That's a really spe specific thing. The other camp says, well, let's look at revealed preference. Instead of asking people, which we can't really rely on their answers, let's just look and see what they do. We'll watch their behaviors, and we'll turn that into, into dollars. Uh, economists tend to like that kind of thing. The problem with that is that you can't direct the, uh, the experiments. You get whatever the behaviors that people, people demonstrate. And that was the, the example that I gave in the previous page about the, the wage studies. Uh, that's where this comes from. It's hard to extrapolate from these, these data sets how people behave to get information about how they might value other situations. But that's the challenge. That's what people tend to try to do. <clears throat> In my um, two by two matrix over here, so that was the uh, stated preference and revealed preference. The other two, uh, the other axis over here has willingness to accept models and willingness to pay models. I'll briefly talk about those. Willingness to pay models. Um, talk about how much would you pay to, to increase safety, essentially. Uh, and you look at, the government does this all the time. They're always enacting regulations that says, you know, child, uh, consumer safety laws, child seat, seat belt laws, safety seat laws. You know, we're going to impose a, a law that says everyone now has to go out and buy child safety seats. Well, that may cause, uh, cause a, a cost of, you know, $35 billion across the country, everybody going out and buying child safety seats. Well, it's going to save some lives. So you go and look afterwards and say, well, how many lives were saved? And you find it was 10. And then you do the math, carry the four... And 3.5 billion dollars per child. Okay, well that's your answer, and that's essentially how it's done. The problem with that is that you never really know if the legislators were passing the laws for economic reasons or for political reasons. Whether the, after the fact you saved more people than you thought or less people than you thought is is really difficult to get from from uh, uh, get back to a pure value of a life uh, this way. The other ones are willing to, willingness to accept models, and this is where the EPA number comes from. It's where the only, most of the studies that are, that are accepted come from this, out of this approach. There we actually look at risk of death versus wages across industry, across occupations. There are certain jobs that are just inherently more dangerous. And if you look, statistically, all other things being equal, location and education required and physical ability required, all those kinds of things, if you took all those other factors out, you'd find that jobs that are more dangerous tend to pay more. That seems intuitive. And you can actually look and see, well, how much more dangerous are they and how much more do you have to pay them? And you've got a bunch of different types of jobs and you plot all those points and you find that they kind of look like they're lining up on a line. And so you'll draw a line through this and you'll project it forward to 100%. And that's exactly what they do. That is the value of statistical life. That's how they do it. Now, the problem with that is that there's huge uncertainties in each one of those points. So you get a lot of points. And all the points really are clustered around zero. Most jobs really have an insignificant probability of dying. I'd be willing to admit, to, to, to bet, that most of us in this room have jobs where our probability of dying in that job is zero. And the benefit, you know, the extra cost we get paid to take those jobs because it's so dangerous is also zero. So we're sitting at the origin. Most jobs are sitting at the origins. There's a few jobs that are dangerous. And so those are the ones that are really driving these, these examples. 
Here's the problem. The problem is that there's probably some theoretical curve. If you asked everybody in the country, how much do you value your life, and they gave you an honest answer, and they were able to figure that out in, the, in their heads, and they were able to give you an honest answer, and you could plot that out, you get a history on that would look something like this. I made up the numbers. Don't look at them very closely. You have some people that don't value their lives at all. Maybe they're sitting on death row, they're going to get killed tomorrow anyway. It really doesn't matter, right, honestly. If you said, you know, can, you, can I pay a 10 bucks to take a job that's really dangerous? Yeah, sure, why not? I'm going to die tomorrow anyway. Um, on the other hand, you have people that really value their lives a whole lot for whatever reason. I wouldn't pretend to understand why this curve is the way it is, why what drives people to value their lives more or less, but my guess is that there is a curve like this. When, as an employer, you need to hire some people for a dangerous job, you've got so many jobs you need to hire for, and uh, so you jack up the price until you get people to take that job. Uh, there's, a, there's a great peril, uh, parable uh, that Jesus told, in fact, about uh, an employer that goes out and hires laborers at the beginning of the day. And he finds in the middle of the day he doesn't have enough, so he goes back and ups the price. I'll pay you the same price for half a day's work. It's upping the price. And he gets more. And at the end of the day, an hour before closing time, he says, oh, I need more. He goes back and ups the price again. He was able to segment his, his population of people he needed to do and give them different amounts of, of, of pay. In, in, the, in an efficient market, you can't do that. You just offer one price, and you keep upping the price until you get enough people. I'm making this example up where if you set the price at $5 million at this VSL, you'd have enough people to take all the dangerous jobs we have in the country. But what if we had more dangerous jobs? Well, then you'd have to up the price to 10 million. Well, all of a sudden, the VSL has changed. Because we value our lives more? No, because we have more dangerous jobs. So, in fact, what's happening is it's going the opposite direction. As we outsource all our manufacturing jobs to China, we need fewer of these jobs so we can drop the price. So the VSL is dropping over time. That $6.9 million I mentioned is actually a revision in 2008 of, the, of an earlier EPA estimate of the same, with the same process where they came up with 7.8 and revised it down to 6.9. Why? Because we have fewer manufacturing jobs in this country. And yet that's the answer. That's the, that's the number we use. I'm going to skip the next slide. Its point is that, and even in these clever studies, the studies themselves don't, don't agree with themselves. They give all kinds of numbers all over the map. This was the number that the EPA, I'm sorry, this is the number the EPA used to get there. They used this number as an input and then evolved that to get 6.9. But in fact, that number, that number, that number, or that number may have been more, more applicable, and these numbers are negative in the same study. Uh, no. So what's the answer? The answer is that, you know what, there's no answer. Uh, there is an answer, and policymakers desperately want to latch onto that answer because it's easy, and they don't have to think, and they can blame somebody else on the question when the hard questions come in. And you know what? You can't do that. Uh, you have to address this issue. If you don't do it explicitly, it's going to be done implicitly. You're going to set weights, and somebody's, some clever person is going to back calculate and say, yeah, but by setting those weights, you're saying that the value is this, and you're not even going to know, so you should do it explicitly. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. Adopting somebody else's number isn't going to work for you. It was right for them if they knew what they were doing. If you wanted to do it, you've got to redo the study and make it applicable for you. Uh, so ultimately, it really is a policy decision. There's risk involved in setting this number. Uh, somebody has to take that risk. That risk is fundamentally political risk, and that's why policymakers get hired. So I think that's all I have. Other questions? Yes, over here. Nope. 
It's in there. Yeah. The, the studies that do, I don't do the studies. I read the studies. The people who do this, in fact, this is a meta study. They did a study over other studies. And in this study, they segmented into uh, deaths, or they said deaths plus injuries. So the number that the EPA used was actually the deaths, fatalities only. They used this number. I would argue that actually you want to calculate this, because that gets at the human cost of something, deaths and injuries. Uh, they don't separate them out, but they, you can combine them. So, yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Next. I think the, num the number that I propose to the folks that ask me and say, what number should I use, is $10 million. And here's why. It's a round number. I believe that the $6.9 million is at best a, no a lower bound. I don't know what the actual bound, uh, uh, real number is. Maybe it's $25 million. I have no idea. But $10 million is close enough to the $6.9 that it's believable. It's a round number, so you're less likely to get, get questions. And uh, that's ultimately how policy gets made. We can slide it through, and it seems like it's about reasonable. Good enough. Yes, sir. You make it 10.1.3.2, then somebody will think you did the math. Absolutely. If it's 10 million, they'll know you did <clears throat> I don't know how you got that number, but it's wrong. That's all I know. In policy, that's wrong. Yes, ma'am. I haven't a clue, I'm not a psychologist. And secondly, in the interpretive basis, when people are looking at the behaviors and inferring from those behaviors the value of a life, could you tell us more about the inferential basis on which those people are making those judgments? They try to factor, it's, it's a, it's um. They try to factor out the known causes that they, that they the known inferential causes for changing uh, wages that they know about. Age is one, experience is one, education is one, location is one, type of occupation. There's occupation and industry are both. So you can be a secretary, but if you're a secretary for an oil and gas company, you're more likely to die in an explosion when the thing next door blows up, right? So there's all kinds of uh, correlations that they try to do. They look across all these different factors and try to, try to uh, uh, pull out the dominant factors and hopefully are left with just the uh, uh, harm, the danger, safety issues. And that's what they try to correlate. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, again, looking at synthesized reports. I didn't do the initial, uh, the initial uh, research. Uh, yes, sir? In the future of health care and escalating costs of yes. therapy, can you make a comment how the cost of each year of added life can be assessed? I mean, currently, it's maybe against dialysis, $50,000 a year. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know in detail. I think I understand your question. I think what you're saying is that over time, this high tail is actually getting larger as we age as a population. We start to value our lives more. We're starting to pay a, lot, a large amount of money for a very small benefit in terms of health. So our intuitive uh, value of life is increasing. One would therefore expect that our average across the whole popula population is increasing. My point about manufacturing moving off seas is that technically then, computationally what's happening is that the VSL is decreasing, which is counterintuitive. Yeah? She's been holding her hand up for a while. I heard briefly from Hallmark and Kev after the 
the workers, the 11 workers who died. Yes. Yeah. 